0: Good morning and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Abby, And I'm Erica. Today I'm going to be telling you guys about the disappearance of J.C. Dugard. So grab yourself some coffee and let's dive in.
1: just want to give a brief warning before jumping into this episode. This episode does deal with crimes against young children, and there are some details that we'll go into. We don't go into any super graphic details, but we do want to give you guys a warning before we get into it. J.C. Liedegaard grew up in South Lake Tahoe, California, with her little sister, her mom, Terry, and her stepfather, Carl. On June 10th, 1991, at the age of 11 years old, JC was walking to her school bus stop and she was in fifth grade. She was really excited to go to school and her stepfather, Carl, was able to watch her walk to the bus stop through his garage.
0: It's so crazy to me and I don't really know where this story is going, but I have a feeling how many times you hear about kids like, you know, getting kidnapped when they're walking to the bus stop. But that was such a normal thing back in the day. Like I did. We always walked to school, like, I mean, around this age. I have my older sister with me, but that was so common.
1: I lived in the middle of nowhere, so that was not something that I did because it would have been a very long walk. But it is true. We talk about it a lot where these 11-year-olds, 10-year-olds are walking to their bus stop and that's when they're kidnapped. But you're right. it, It was such a normal thing.
0: It's sad that you can't do that. Like, it's not that you're worried about traffic. You have to worry about people kidnapping your kid. It's really messed up.
1: So like I said, Carl was watching her through his garage and he saw somebody come up in a vehicle and they grabbed her and put her into the vehicle. Carl actually jumped on his bike and tried to chase the car down, but obviously the car was a lot faster and he eventually lost the car and he had been unable to even read the license plate because the car was so much quicker. He immediately called the police and reported JC as stolen. Police and FBI immediately started searching and seeing if they could find any trace of J.C. The search included scent dogs, aircraft, and hundreds of law enforcement officers, but they were unable
0: to find her. Did Carl have any description of the car or the people who took her?
1: Yes. So Carl was able to tell police that it was a mid-sized gray car with two people in it, and it was possibly a Mercury Monarch. So he was able to give a slight description of the car that the police were able to kind of go off of. He was also able to tell police that JC had been wearing an all pink outfit that day for school. And that he was able to obviously give a description of JC herself and what she looked like. Carl quickly became one of the main suspects in this case and police were constantly keeping an eye on him. Which I can see, but I also can't see. We see it so often where, you know, the family members or the spouse, the the first person, those are who you immediately look to for answers and assume maybe had something to do with it. But he had got on a bike and called police so quickly that it's, I almost wonder how much time there was between when her mom had last seen her and she was left, I don't know if she was left alone with Carl and, and Terry was in the house or if Terry had already left for work or something. I'm not sure where she was. But I do find it strange that he just became a suspect when I feel like from what it sounds like from him chasing the car down and then immediately calling police, it sounds like there was such a small window of time that it seems hard to believe that he would have been able to do something in that time.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, these are always tricky situations because, you know, you hear a lot that a lot of the time when a kid gets kidnapped or goes missing. It's someone in the family or friends that are involved as opposed to like a random person. And I wonder how many cases they put too much focus on the immediate family right away. And it makes it difficult to really, you know, open your eyes and see what else is going on and what other possibilities could have occurred. Because it does sound like in this one that Carl did everything he could.
1: Yeah, I don't think that there's anything more that he could have done. I do agree, though, that I wonder if sometimes too much emphasis is put on the family, which kind of hinders the investigation because they don't look at outside people quickly enough, but they also don't look at outside people at all sometimes.
0: Right. But that could also be flipped around, too, because if they were to rule out the family really quickly and don't have enough evidence to rule them out, you could be missing what actually happened. It's just a tricky situation. It is very tricky. Yes.
1: For 18 years after her abduction, there were no updates on the whereabouts of J.C. Her mom was constantly looking for her. Her family was constantly searching for her. And her mom actually released this song that they played for J.C. that they... all over the news broadcasts trying to get it out there so that JC could hear it if she was still alive somewhere and so that maybe the kidnappers would hear it and they'd bring her back. So I'm going to insert a clip of that for you guys right now.
0: Listen to your heart, baby, and hear me say that every minute of every day, every moment, in every way, we are with you, J.C. You're in our thoughts, you're in our prayers, and we won't rest until you're home, until you're safe, and in the arms
2: of the ones that love you. J.C.
1: Did she write the song? I don't believe that she wrote the song. She's the one that wrote the little poem thing that she read in the middle of the song. But the song had been written for her daughter. And all the proceeds from people purchasing the song went toward the benefit for the J.C. Dugard Trust Fund. It's
0: definitely not something I've heard of before.
1: I haven't either. I thought it was interesting that that was the route that they took. And I think it was mainly just to try to get a bunch of attention and also to try to bring in funds.
0: Right. I mean... It's not a bad idea by any means. It's just, I've not ever heard of that. And so I'm kind of like taken aback by it.
1: I feel like so often we see like, here's this bracelet for this missing person. We're selling these bracelets by these. They did that for Briceless Pisa. They sent out bracelets and they sold them and the money went towards the investigation. But I don't feel like we've seen somebody write a song before. But I, it's kind of an interesting approach. And I think that the reason they went about this would also be the fact that JC and her mom, Terry, used to sing together quite a bit before bedtime or just at home. So I think it
0: was something that was kind of
1: special to the two of them. So she wanted to incorporate that.
0: Right. And I you know, it's a good idea that they're putting it out there like hopefully she can hear it and have a little bit of comfort. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, I'm surprised that we haven't come across that before. I agree. And like I
1: said, she really just wanted to get it out there so that maybe the kidnappers would hear it and they'd feel a little guilty for taking her And maybe they would return her home safely. But unfortunately, there was no updates for 18 years until August 26, 2009, when Officer Todd Stroud, who was actually the school resource officer, and he had been called into work because this young woman and her two young daughters had shown up at the police station and he was brought in because they believed that he had the best training to work with younger people like this because he was a school resource officer.
2: The mystery has been solved. So please go to FireDeptCoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way.
1: Todd, talking with her, quickly learned that the woman standing in front of him
0: was J.C. Dugard. Okay, so the woman showed up at the police station with the two kids.
1: Sort of. That's what I'm going to go into. (laughs) So J.C. begins to tell Todd her story. She states that in 1991 when she was on her way to the bus stop a car pulled up next to her and rolled the window down and she thought that they were just going to ask for directions so she kind of stopped just to talk to them for a second but all of a sudden some hands came out of the car window and tried to grab her but she was shocked understandably. And she fell back into the bushes and they got out of the car and grabbed her and put her into the car and then just sped off. When she was put in a car, she was placed under a blanket with somebody's legs on top of her. And she said that the drive had seemed like it took forever. So she didn't know where she was, but she told Todd that she was very scared and she just wanted to go home. She didn't know what had happened. She said that her abductors had taken her to their place and locked her up in a shack in their backyard and had had handcuffed her to the wall after removing all of her clothing her abductor had told jc that if she had tried to leave at all there were attack dogs that were outside of the shack and they would get her and she would not make it very far so obviously jc was too scared to even try to leave jc learns that her captors are philip and his wife nancy and their last name is Garrido. And the two of them took her basically to fulfill Philip's sexual fantasies. And Nancy wanted to please her husband so she was in on it as well. I'm not going to go into details. I'm assuming you guys can all figure out what happened to JC while she was in captivity. But Philip would tell JC that he had a sexual problem and she was helping him. And I think that's very traumatic for a young child to hear that you're the sole thing that's helping him with something
0: right like obviously this whole thing is traumatic and terrible it's just it's just bad that's all bad it's a disgusting way to like manipulate it even more than what he's already doing that's so terrible it's
1: yes it's almost like he's trying to make himself look better by telling her that he has a problem and she's helping it's disgusting about one and a half months after the kidnapping he did move her to a different shed in the backyard that was a little bigger it was a little bit of an upgrade i guess Philip and Nancy had decided that JC should no longer be called JC. They wanted to give her a name of their own. So she after that would be referred to by them as Alyssa. I'm gonna continue to have refer to her as her actual name, JC. JC said that when she was in captivity, she would look at the moon through a little window in the shack, and she always thought to herself that maybe her mom was looking at the same moon as her, which is just so sad to me. But J.C. and her mom always looked at the moon together. They'd sing songs about the moon, and they would argue over which was better, the crescent or the full moon. J.C.'s mom always loved the crescent moon, and J.C. was a huge fan of the full moon. Eventually, into her captivity, J.C. had been given a TV. However, she was only allowed to watch QVC. And Philip made sure that there was no chance of J.C. seeing the news. He did not want her to see anything about her abduction. He was kind of really trying to brainwash her into thinking that her family no longer loved her or wanted her. During her time in captivity, she wrote in a journal and would document her depression, fear, her feelings of loneliness, feelings of being unloved. And I think those are all very valid feelings that she would be having. But she did do her best to document them and she was always worrying about her family members, and she wondered if they were ever searching for her, or if they had just kind of given up on her. And over time, she basically had just kind of grown to want any sort of human interaction, so it didn't even matter that it was coming from her kidnappers. Jc was not sure how to leave. She had been threatened so many times about what would happen if she did leave. She also didn't really know where she was. She also thought that her family didn't love her anymore and so she thought that if she left she didn't know where she would go she thought that really the only people that cared about her anymore were philip and nancy
0: yeah i mean it all sounds like a manipulation tactic they were using to suppress her and not let her even try to escape
1: Yeah, it's really, like you said, a manipulation tactic, and it was really awful, and I'm sure that she felt very lonely, and it's really sad that the only people she felt loved by during this time were the people that were hurting her. While J.C. was captured, she had actually gotten pregnant twice from Philip, once at the age of 14 and once at the age of 17. The awful thing is they did not allow her to go to a hospital to give birth to her children and she was required to do it in the shack that she was staying in. They did give her codeine to try to help with some of the pain but I can only imagine how little that did while in labor.
0: Yeah I mean I'm almost surprised that she didn't miscarriage from the amount of stress and I would assume probably malnourishment she might have been under.
1: I know that they were like feeding her. They would occasionally even bring her inside to like watch movies with them as if they're kind of like a family. So I'm not sure if there was malnourishment or if they were trying to give her some sort of care. JC had said that she was really nervous about giving birth by herself and not in a hospital. But Philip had told her that he had watched multiple videos about people giving birth. And so he knew how to deliver the baby.
0: Sure. I mean, I've seen some heart surgery on Grayson Anatomy, so I'm probably good. I trust you. Either way, J.C. was in labor for twelve hours for the delivery of her daughters.
1: Her daughters both stayed with J.C. in the shed with her. And as her daughters grew older, J.C. had planted a flower in front of the shed and had set up a little school, kind of, so that she could teach them as much as she could. But she was only in
0: fifth grade, so she didn't have a whole lot of education. I guess I can't imagine she had much to teach them, but at least the basics. Well, it seems like she's starting to get a little bit more like range where she can move around freely. So yeah,
1: JC did have a little bit more free range. She was not chained to a wall all the time. She was kind of just left to be in the shack with her children. On August 24th, 2009, Philip went to UC Berkeley campus and took JC's two daughters with him to inquire about holding a religious event. The special events manager there for the police department had some sort of suspicions with philip when he came in he was acting really weird so he asked an officer from the police department to run a background check on him and when they run the background check they see that philip is on parole for kidnapping and rape and he was actually a registered sex offender
0: and was this from before jc was kidnapped yes it was the police officer there
1: called Phillip's parole officer, and Philip's parole officer was really surprised to hear that Philip had children because last he knew he did not have children. On August 26th, Philip was required to go meet with his parole officer because of all of the suspicion regarding the fact that he supposedly had children. So he brought JC, the two girls, and his wife, Nancy to the parole office. And he explains to the parole officer that the two girls are not his children. They're actually J.C.'s children. And they're just family relatives that are visiting from out of town. And they're referring to her as Alyssa at this point still. So they're calling her Alyssa in front of the parole officer. But she somehow gets the attention of the parole officer and they bring her into a room to separately question her, which is smart. And they talk to her and find out that she is actually J.C. Dugard and not Alyssa. And that they find out all of this information regarding philip and everything with the kidnapping and at first they're all really shocked because she disappeared in 1991 and this was the first kidnapping in american history where somebody has been found alive after they'd been missing that long so everybody was just kind of in shock about the whole thing it was that same day that jc Degarde was reunited with her mom And the police immediately contacted Carl Proben as well and let them know that they had found her. And he responded, quote, it broke my marriage up. I've gone through hell. I mean, I was a suspect up until yesterday, end quote. So for all 18 years that she was missing, they just constantly assumed it was Carl. And there would have been some sort of stress between Terry and Carl. And they decided to divorce because of the fact that JC was missing.
0: You know you hear a lot about that like parents after they lose a child irregardless of the situation it's a hard thing to go through and I think it does lead to a lot of separations. I mean given Carl wasn't her actual father but obviously he was a paternal figure in her life. I'm sure it was very relieving to hear that she was found alive
1: and also very relieving to hear that you're no longer a suspect. Police officers went and they were able to find the place where J.C. had been held with Philip and Nancy. And she was actually taken about 170 miles away from where she lived to a place in Antioch, California. So police searched the home. They searched the property and they searched everything just making sure that he wasn't involved in any other missing person cases behind their home they found the shack that jc and her children had lived in inside they found a rug that was spread out and had a bed on it and on the bed there were piles of clothing and boxes there was another area that had it was a tent and it had clothing pictures books storage containers toys and the only thing that was Like modern or normal, that we would see would be electric for lighting, and then that TV that she had. On April 28th, 2011, Philip and Nancy pleaded guilty to kidnapping and rape. And this made it so that JC and her daughters did not have to testify at trial, which was actually
0: kind of decent of them. Thank you. Kind of decent of them. I mean, not nice by any means. I was trying but to figure out how to word it because it's not nice, but it was... At least JC was able to avoid that. Mm-hmm.
1: On June 3rd, Philip received a sentence of 431 years to life in prison. And Nancy was sentenced to 36 years to life. And how old were they at this point when they finally went to court? They were in their 60s at this time. Shortly after the trial, J.C. and her daughters ended up receiving an award of $20 million from the state of California. And this was due to the fact that Phillip's parole officer had completely failed at his job. He had not done what he was supposed to. And that was why J.C. was able to be kidnapped for so long. I want to point this out just for respect for JC because this is something that she talks about in her interviews is and I don't want people commenting this or discussing it she hate when people use the term Stockholm syndrome when related to her case because like i said we talked about earlier she felt like she didn't have anybody to go to and she was enjoying the human contact just from her kidnappers but she hates it and she's actually working to try to redefine stockholm syndrome because she feels like she did what she needed to in order to survive and to basically make it in the situation that she was in but it's not a situation that she would have accepted if she had any other choice
0: So what I'm guessing from how you just said that is, you know, when Stockholm Syndrome is thinking like that's when they're manipulated into thinking that this is love and they're like happy to be there Whereas she was doing what she needed to survive.
1: Yes. And if you guys have not heard about Stockholm Syndrome, we do have a mini episode on it that came out a long time ago, like last year or something. But you can go check that out. In July of 2011, JC published... A book called A Stroll Life, which is about her life and the years that she spent with Philip and Nancy. Then again, in July of 2016, JC wrote a second book that followed her story, and it was called Freedom, My Book of Firsts. And she describes what her life was like after she'd been in captivity. One thing she talks about is she had to learn how to be free, basically. She said that she remembers the first time she ordered pizza, and She was just so excited to be able to just order a pizza and do what she wanted. J.C. started a nonprofit foundation called the J.A.Y.C. Foundation. And this foundation works to reunify families of trauma victims. And they also try to provide safe, secluded spaces for victims to recover once they're found. They hold workshops for caregivers and do animal-assisted therapy, as J.C. actually used riding and caring for horses as a coping mechanism once she was freed.
0: I do think it's really amazing that she was able to combat this terrible incident that happened to her by starting a non and writing books to help other people and rehabilitating herself and sounds like to do amazing things
1: those are my favorite endings to stories like this where you see somebody turn things around and live their life to the fullest regardless of the circumstances that happened to them I'm going to end this with a quote from JC that she wrote in an email that says, quote, In the backyard prison Philip and Nancy Garrido created, I didn't really think too much about the next day, let alone the future. Just getting through the day was what was important to me. When we were rescued and I started therapy, it was a combination of past, present, and future that I thought about. Nowadays, it's a lot more future, end quote.
2: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode.